0: Very pleasant good evening everyone. Welcome to the Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening as we get ready to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And I guess if you would take away the Monday through Thursday of last week, it was a very successful week for both the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And to talk about that more about what's going on Cincinnati style, let's bring in from down south our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight?
1: I'm well, Dave. But alas, those games between Monday and Thursday do count. And uh, that's been the problem with the Reds more than the Indians. The Reds just can't seem to put together a meaningful streak. But uh, we'll see what happens this week against the Giants. And uh, I think they play the Phillies over the weekend.
0: Mark, do the terms, the numbers, I should say, 18 and 11 mean anything to you tonight?
1: 18 and 11. They do not.
0: That is the record at home for the Cleveland Indians so far this year, which is the best record in Major League Baseball.
1: Which means they probably have one of the worst records away.
0: I wasn't going to say that, but thank you for bringing it up. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, the Indians are playing tonight. They are at home against the Boston Red Sox, who have been... These two teams, Mark, the Cleveland Indians and the Boston Red Sox, have been two of the streakiest teams in baseball this year.
1: Yeah, the Indians lose – I'm sorry, the uh, the Red Sox lose 10 games straight uh, before launching into an eight-game win streak, or is it seven or eight. I've forgotten what it is now. Uh, but I, I was anxious. I, I forgot to check earlier what happened to them before the 10-game losing streak. I think they, they were a little above 500, four or five games above 500. But uh, it's hard to imagine a team with that kind of uh, – well, number one, their payroll – but number two, the talent they have, defending world champion could lose 10 games in a row. So it's, uh, it's been an up and down season, but you know, th- this is Bud Selig's dream to have parody. And I think the most exciting playoff would be, or the, the most exciting season for him would be that no team wins more than 90 games. That means you're going to have. Yeah, that
0: would be the per, that would be the perfect scenario.
1: Yeah, because so many teams would be in the running in September, uh, barely above 500. And, uh, you know, winning 88, 90 games can still get you in the playoffs in, in several of these divisions right now.
0: Well, we're going to go over a lot of things tonight. We've got a couple of anniversaries to actually go into this evening, Mark. We've also got the state high school baseball playoff pairings that are happening This weekend at Huntington Park down in Columbus. We'll be taking a look at those here coming up in the second half hour. We'll also have our Ask Us segment. and We've got some very, very good questions for tonight's show. And you can also join in on tonight's show just simply by joining us on the social media. Our email addresses are askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, I want to go through the month of May for both teams. The Indians were 14-14 and 14 in the month of May. They were about as consistent as consistent can be. They had two four-game winning streaks and two four-game losing streaks during the month of May. For Cincinnati, they were 13-14 and 14 in May. They had one four-game losing streak and four two-game winning streaks. Either way, you can't win a division playing like that.
1: No, you can't. And uh, the the problem the Reds are going to face going through the rest of the year is every team in the division, except Chicago, has a chance to win the division. And when you have that kind of of balance and and parity, it's hard to gain on anybody because everybody's beating everybody else. And unless the Reds can put together – an eight, ten-game winning streak and get themselves back into a position where they're only two or three games out of first place, it's going to be awfully hard to play the way they're playing and make up any ground because everybody beats everybody else, including the Reds. And the Reds, they go into Los Angeles last week. They lose the first two games. And actually, going into that third game, I didn't give them much of a chance to beat Clayton Kershaw, but they did. And then they played probably the worst game of the year on Friday night, uh, getting shut out by a journeyman pitcher, and they come back and win three in a row against Arizona. But Arizona is not a good team. The Reds should have taken three out of four. The question will be how they're going to do in the next, uh, this next homestand, which I think is critical. They got, I think they have, what, 10 or 12 games uh, on the homestand over the next two or three weeks. And uh, they really have to win. 60, 60 to 70% of those games to pull themselves back within three or four of Milwaukee. And if they don't, uh, it could be a long summer.
0: Mark, going into tomorrow night's game, the Reds are off tonight. The Reds have a record of 26 and 29. Now, in the month of June, they've already played one game in June. They've got 28 games, 27 left. Out of those 28 games, and they're 1 0 right now, how many wins do you think the Reds are going to need? In the month of June?
1: I think they're going to need about 18. Uh, I looked at the schedule, and if if they can come up with 18 wins, uh, which is a, a tall order, and you wouldn't expect a team to need to do that, except the Reds are seven games out of first place. So at some point, you have to say it's no longer early, we have to start winning. And hopefully, if they get Joey Votto back, they say this weekend he's going to be back. Uh, after a rehab stint in Dayton or Louisville, and then they get Matt, o- Matt Latos back. uh, You know they, they have a chance to put together uh, s- some winning records here in, in June, but you, you can't wait to September and hope to pull it out. You know you, that's that's a pipe dream that doesn't often come true. So if you're going to make your run, you got to pick up two or three games in June, two or three games in July, a game or two in August, and now you're ready for September. So. Uh, you're right, June is going to be a very important month, and I think if they can win 18 games, uh, they'll, they'll be back in it.
0: So you think they need to go about 18-10 and 10 in these 28 games in June? That's right. Now, see, I looked at the Indians' schedule. They've got 27 games in June. Now, we're not counting any rainouts or anything here. I figured the Indians needed 16 wins. They're already 1-0 in June uh, after yesterday. They're leading tonight 3-2 to over Boston. I figure they need 16 wins in the month of June, Mark. So that would make them 16 and 11 in the month of June. Now, right now, the Indians are – I think they've played terrible baseball. They're 27 and 30 overall, and they're in fourth place in the Central Division. They're only six games behind Detroit at 31 and 22. And I think they can thank their lucky stars for being where they're at right now considering the defense has been just terrible. The offense has been almost non-existent. Their pitching staff, their bullpen has been weak. Their starters have been outstanding. Matter of fact, Mark, their starters are leading all of Major League Baseball in strikeouts. And Corey Kluber, as far as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, if you take Mark Burley out of the American League, Corey Kluber has got to be your leader for a Cy Young Award this year, the way he has pitched over the first two months of the season.
1: I'm glad you brought him up. I saw him on TV the other night. What's what's the difference, in your opinion, with him this year as opposed to the last two years? First first ball strikes.
0: He has been more aggressive on the first pitch to each batter. He's getting ahead of the hitters, and then he's able to throw his slider or his changeup. And he's, he's leading the American League in strikeouts right now, and he's got pretty much all the American League baffled. Matter of fact, Terry Francona, came out last week and said that Jim Leland, two years ago, came up to Francona after a game that Kluber had pitched against the Tigers and said, that kid is going to be something special. And to this date, he has shown nothing but positive aspects each and every time he hits the mound, Mark.
1: Well, he looked awfully good. His control, when I saw him pitch the other night, Even when he was, you know, a ball was called, he was close to the strike zone. Everything was close, and when you do that, umpires will give you the benefit of the doubt, and they they will expand the zone for a guy who's consistent. He's not throwing 130 pitches, and uh, so he looked really good to me. And he kept reminding me of somebody, and I couldn't put my finger on who. An older pitcher, uh, just (coughs) by his delivery and I ought to see him again before I can think of who it was, but uh, he looked awfully strong to me, and I, I think the Indians starting pitching, uh, it, frankly, is a surprise to me. I did not think they were going to be this good this year.
0: Well, what's funny, Mark, is he remind, Corey Kluber reminds me, not of another pitcher, but of Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> he He looks like Chuck Norris. Now, if that's the case to a hitter in the batter's box, and Chuck Norris is staring you down on the mound. I think I'd be sw- swinging and missing too.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. You know this intimidation factor pitchers have in many cases. Yesterday they had Jonathan Broxton, who's got an O. I think it's an O forty eight forty eight ERA, and he, he has pitched just fantastic ball all year. And this guy is six foot four, three hundred and twenty five pounds, and he does not look like a friendly guy. So I don't care how. Who you are? How big you are? <laughs> this this dude looks like an offensive lineman with a bad attitude, throwing a, the baseball about 95 miles an hour, and and he's spotting his fastball. Uh, guys are not digging in on him to be sure, but uh, talk about intimidation. And then yesterday, uh, it, it, I'm, sh- I'm sure he'll get lit up before the season's over. But yesterday, a uh, Rodas Chapman, he threw pitches that no human being on the planet could hit. And these guys did not come close to hitting him. And I think they were just saying, just let me get the hell out of here. I don't want to face this guy. He threw three pitches at 102, and he threw two pitches at 103, and everything else was hundred over 100, except his changeup, and his changeup was 92.
0: <laughs> Remember what I told you, Mark? That's the way he'll never get hit in the head again. Just don't let him hit the ball.
1: Yeah, and I think he's taking your advice.
0: (laughs) You know, I wanted to bring up something. Have you watched any of the girls' World Series softball tournament?
1: I I saw, yeah. I saw a little bit of it.
0: Okay. One of the girls, and you and I have discussed this a lot about Major League pitchers possibly wearing something on the mound, and, and we were trying to decide what would be unencumbersome to them. There's a girl from Kentucky that is wearing a mask because she was hit in the face playing shortstop years ago. And she came up with this mask. Now, Mark, this thing has got like a shock absorber on the forehead and the chin. I don't know if you saw it or not. But it goes around to her head, just comes right down just like a catcher's mask, only it's, it's like a visor cap. And it comes down over her face, and it's got the shock absorbers on her forehead and chin. So if a ball hits her in the face, it gives. But it's there's just it's all wide open. There's no way the ball is going to hit her in the face. It's not going to get through the mask. I think that's something that Major League Baseball could really look at, and and it would be unencumbersome to the pitchers.
1: Dave, I, I am terrified that uh, seeing... The guy who pitched for Arizona yesterday, and his name escapes me now, he was a kid who was pitching for the A's two years ago and got hit in the side of the head. Uh, and he almost Brandon died. McCarthy. Brandon McCarthy. And he almost died. Uh, he had a brain uh, hemorrhage. And what I'm afraid of, it's going to take the death of a pitcher, either in, in Major League Baseball or A or A, on the mound that's going to force Major League Baseball to do something. And then they will grudgingly do it. And what a price to pay. Or even if a a kid gets brain damaged by a baseball, uh, it's a horrible price to pay uh, because Major League Baseball won't enforce a law that is basically built on ego that these players don't want to wear a hat that's too big or they don't want to wear a hat that's going to somehow encumber them. Well, you get used to it. I remember the same thing being said by the hitters several years ago when they went to the, the batting helmets and they, oh we can't we can't possibly hit with a hard batting helmet. Remember back in the fifties and sixties, they didn't have helmets. They're going mm-hmm. up there with liners and little liners, leather things that fit into the inside of your cap was the only thing guys wore. And even that wouldn't have saved you. And then they went to the, the, the batting helmet with no flaps and then the double flap batting helmet. But they could do the same thing and the reason they did that is because some pitchers or some hitters got grievously hurt remember tony canigliaro
0: Yeah, uh, that's what ru- I was going to bring up
1: you know ruined his career got hit with a jack fisher fastball in the forehead he was never the same and two or three pitchers in the mi- or hitters in the minors uh received career ending injuries and that and that finally forced the you know the baseball uh powers of be to do something but i blame the 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 players union for this uh there is going to be some serious injuries here the hitters are getting too big and strong. And you, you, if Ch- Chapman throws a fastball at 100 miles an hour and it's lying back through the box, it's coming back at 110 to 112 miles an hour. And Chapman is off balance. He's only 50 feet from the home plate. And somebody is going to get killed. And it's because baseball will not take a stand on this. And it's it's going to lead to a tragedy. I guarantee it.
0: Well, if you get an opportunity... Google that Kentucky pitcher, and I can't tell you what her name is, but she is from Kentucky. They're out of the tournament now, but that mask was a very interesting contraption, and I guess it's something that she put together herself with her doctor so that she could continue playing, and it was a very interesting contraption, and I I think it's something that baseball could use right now, and it would not interfere with with what a pitcher would do. But, Mark, I want to get back to the Indians starting pitching because you've got the good here and you've got the bad here through the month of May. I want to get back to Corey Kluber because in six May starts, Kluber went 4-0 and with a 2.09 ERA. He gave up no more than three runs in any of those outings, and he was bested only by one pitcher, Mark, Masahiro Tanaka of the Yankees, who had a 1.88 ERA. And Kluber right now has 60 strikeouts that lead all American League pitchers. But then you go to the bad, and you look at Justin Masterson and Zach McAllister and how terrible they were in May. Masterson was 2-3 and three in six starts, averaging less than six innings pitched. You like this stat a lot more than I do, the whip stat. He had a whip of 1.59, in May, with an ERA of 5.63, McAllister was even worse. He was 0-2 in four starts with only a... In 14 innings pitched, he had a whip of 2.09, Mark, and an ERA of 10.67. Those are two of the top three of your starters on a staff, and the Indians still went 14-14 and 14 in May.
1: Wow. wow. That that is amazing. Um, do do you think they need help? That they, they need another starter to compete.
0: <laughs> um. Well, you know, Tomlin and Bauer did a lot to take up the slack. That that's why they finished fourteen and fourteen. But then Justin Masterson comes out tonight against Boston. Mark throws one hundred and ten pitches in seven innings, and at one point in this ball game, Mark he left with a three nothing lead. At one point in this ball game, he had thrown 25 consecutive strikes. Wow. Now, that's almost unheard of. So if Masterson has got himself back on track, and McAllister can come back from this back strain that he's got, he'll be eligible to come back off the DL. I think the Indian starting rotation is starting to look formidable heading into these last three or four months of the season.
1: Well, you know, we've been talking about the same thing all year in that both teams have the Reds and the Indians. They have better far better than average starting pitching. Uh, I think the Reds' bullpen is better than Cleveland's, but uh, and, and the Reds' bullpen is going to get stronger, I think. But th- the fact remains, both teams still need a bat. And you're bringing back Joey Votto, hopefully by the end of the week, but that's not the kind of bat. You need another bat besides Joey Votto. And the Reds just haven't, you know, I don't think they're going to make a move. It doesn't appear to be. You would think if they were going to make a move, they would have made one by now. And I, I keep thinking about all the people that are out there that can help these teams, and the list is getting uh, you know, shorter and shorter. So it looks like both teams are going to go to the wire with what they got. I, I don't see them making any moves unless you've heard some rumors I've not heard.
0: Well, no, not not necessarily, but I want to get into a couple uh, here in our Ask Us segment because we do get asked that question. But, Mark, i got to ask you about Votto. I would think that they would probably send him the prognosis. Is, I know they're going to send him out on a rehab assignment this weekend, probably to Louisville. And I would think that they would want him back in the lineup for Monday against the Dodgers would be my guess.
1: Well, I heard that he was going out uh, Wednesday and Thursday to Dayton, or Louisville, or both, uh, and then come be ready for Friday when they open. Is it Friday or Thursday they open against the Phillies? I think it's a four-game series. Uh, I think it's the Phillies. Maybe it's not. Friday.
0: Yeah, it's Friday. It's a four-game series against the Dodgers.
1: Okay, so um, that's what I heard that, they, that they'd have him ready for the Phillies. At least that's what they talked about yesterday. But that that's subject to change and how he feels. And uh, I, I just get the feeling unless Joey Votto, you know, feels pristine every day that. Uh, He's not inclined to go out there and play. So uh, we'll see. Uh, But, you know, you have to remember that Joey Votto was hitting, what, 250 when he left. And I I don't think staying out for a month is going to help him very much offensively. So he's not going to come in. He's hitting 257 uh, with six home runs and 12 RBIs. So, (laughs) yeah, I'd like to see him back in there. But you have to make the argument. That if he comes back in, he is going to take the place of Pena, who's been playing first base predominantly. Pena is hitting 290. And he's got 12 RBIs and he's got three home runs and fewer at bats. So I don't see the net gain there in the lineup. And another thing interesting came up over the weekend that they inquired about Devin Masarako playing somewhere else. I mean, he's hitting 350. Uh, he had two home runs the other night, uh, in their, the win against Arizona is 25 RBIs, uh, second on the team. But he said he can't play anywhere else. He said, I worked my whole life to be a catcher. And he said, I'd hate to see what I would look like out in the field. So <laughs> you, you have to <laughs> at take, at least that he's out. honest. He, at least he's honest. So you got to take that out of the equation that he's not a guy who could or is willing probably to, to go somewhere else, uh, like some catchers are. But one last thing is not related to the Reds or the Indians. But Victor Martinez uh, for Detroit. I saw a statistic yesterday that he has struck out 13 times this year. <laughs> That's all he has struck out. And mm-hmm. to, put, to put that in perspective, Brandon Phillips has struck out 47 times, Frazier 45, Vado 31, and he's missed a month, Ludwig 41, Hamilton 36, Jay Bruce 46. And this guy, Martinez, has struck out 13 times. Imagine what kind of performance you'd get from a hitter uh, if they're not striking out. And that's been the big bugaboo for the Reds. And I don't know if you face that with the Indians or not, but uh, the Reds sure strike out a whole bunch.
0: Well, last year before the season began, remember with Mark Reynolds and Drew Stubbs on the team, we were wondering if the Indians would eclipse the strikeout record and they didn't this year they seem to have more contact hitters and they're striking out more mark especially with Carlos Santana whom i have become completely disenchanted with i i went on a rampage last week mark as you remember about Carlos Santana sitting out last monday's game and then he went on the 7-day concussion dl list i got to tell you something mark i saw the catcher uh, I believe it was for Tampa Bay yesterday. I think it was Hannigan with the hockey yeah, helmet. Yeah, yeah, Get hit by a backswing in the back of the head with the bat. And the home plate umpire had to hold him up. And he stayed in the ballgame and had no concussion. But yet Carlos Santana cannot handle a foul tip into the mask. There's something wrong with this guy's head, both physically and mentally. <laughs> I'm to the point, Mark, where he and his Drubal Cabrera I'm ready to say goodbye to. You cannot depend on Carlos Santana to play anywhere in this lineup. He can't play third. He can't catch. He can't play first. He can only be a DH. And even now, batting at 157, you cannot have him in the lineup. Now, Nick Swisher has been out with a strained knee, and ever since Swisher and Santana left the lineup, Mark, it's strange how the strikeouts have gone down and the wins have gone up. Now, I don't know how in the world you would say that that isn't any different. There, there's something. There's a coordinating factor there.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, I, I can't, you know, I mean, that, that's, all, that's all I'm saying. When you've got those two. And as Drupal Cabrera, when he comes up, Mark, with a guy in scoring position, he never takes the first pitch. It is his habit to constantly jump on the first pitch when he comes up with a runner in scoring position. Now I ask you, and this is going to be one of the questions in our Ask Us segment coming up in just a few minutes, but I'm going I'm to jump ahead of the pack here. What do you think the Indians could get in a package for Azdrubal Cabrera and Carlos Santana?
1: Well, I, I think you've pretty much defined what other people would see Statistically, and everybody knows that Santana has not been a defensive force at all. So I don't think you could get a lot. Now, a shortstop, Cabrera, uh, I think you could get quite a bit for because he's playing a premier position, and I know catching is a premier position too, but if you don't play it well, uh, it, it, it really devalues you as a player. That's why Ryan Hannigan has never hit all that much, but he's such a valued catcher because he's smart. He plays every game. He's got a good arm. He's great defensively, and he'll hit, you know, 250 for you. But he's not going to do stupid stuff. And, you know, with with Santana striking out all the time, Hannigan never struck out. You know, he had the fewest strikeouts for the Reds the last four years. So you have to look at what these players can do. and that, that, That's one thing I think the new metrics, they, they get at. In terms of establishing a player's value, it's not just their batting average. There's a lot that goes into uh, what makes up a, a successful major league ball player. But in answer to your question, I think you could get quite a bit for Cabrera, and I don't think you get much for your catcher at all.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm extreme. You know, unless you were going to put Santana at DH, and that's the only place he's going to play, he doesn't have to worry about. He might be able to play first base every once in a while, but. He is not going to be a catcher. He's not going to be a third baseman. He's either going to be a DH or a first baseman. Now, the only thing I would be asking for in return, as far as Cabrera is concerned, I'm not asking for the world, but I would like a power hitter or two, maybe in double or triple A. One one of those two for as Cabrera. Now, I realize he's on his free agent year, but, you know, I think this guy has been overrated, Mark. From the time that he came up in 2007, I think he showed a lot of potential. And every once in a while you see flashes of brilliance out of him. But it's not on a consistent basis. When you watch him day in and day out, he's very disappointing in what he does. Not only at the plate, but in the field. And I think a lot of it has to do with the lack of concentration. As far as as Carlos Santana is concerned, I don't think he wants to be a D.H., I think he wants to be in the field somewhere. And when he's not in the field, or even when he is in the field, it takes away from his concentration at the bat. For example, if he's a DH, he'd rather be out in the field, and that's what he's thinking, rather than he should be hitting. If he's in the field, he's thinking about not making mistakes in the field, rather than hitting. So his hitting is constantly taking a back seat to everything, and you can't have somebody do that. They thought when Carlos Santana came over from the Dodgers, that he was a reincarnation of Victor Martinez. Well, Mark, you just explained why, in a few short words, why Carlos Santana is not a reincarnation of Victor Martinez.
1: If I was the Indians front office, and I you know, I probably will be soon, uh, <laughs> I would look at Cabrera and say, uh, hasta luego, my friend, and, and pick up a draft pick and let somebody else take that headache, because you've got Lindor down there, who can certainly match him defensively, I don't think he's going to be the player uh, offensively yet that, that you're going to lose in Cabrera. But I think you're right. Cabrera's inconsistency would drive me insane. And if you if you tell me that Lindor can play a solid shortstop, uh, that's one of those positions. A guy could hit 230, 240, and still be of great value to your team, just like Zach Cozart, uh, who's never going to hit more than 230, 240, I don't think anymore. But he, he never makes an error. I think he's got two all year. So uh, you, you have to weigh these things in terms of their overall value to a team. And I don't think that a guy like Cabrera would be worth a multi-year, $100 million contract, which I bet he can get on the free agent market. I bet he'll get at least 60 to $70 million.
0: Well, I've always thought that where he's going to go is the Yankees. That, that's always been my thought. He will end up with the Yankees. I thought he was going to end up with St. Louis, but the Cardinals put all of their money into Peralta. Why, I'll never know, but they did, and now they don't need a shortstop. The Yankees next year will need a shortstop, and I think Cabrera is probably the prime place for him next year. But yeah, I agree with you, Mark, and that's what I was thinking over the weekend, watching him ground out to first base again with runners in scoring position and two outs. And the fact is, is that I could sit here and watch Francisco Lindor play a better shortstop for this team, bat night, hit 210, 220, and give us a better performance out in the field than I can watching as Drupal Cabrera hitting 260 and not giving me anything when runners are scoring in scoring position but giving me base hit after base hit when there's two outs and nobody on. And that's what Cabrera brings to the ball club. And inconsistency at shortstop. I I think I could get just as much out of Lindor as I do out of Cabrera.
1: Well, let's trade him in.
0: I agree. (laughs) Give give me a power-hitting double-A player and I'll be
1: glad. Hey, how many errors do the Indians have now?
0: Uh, they had a pretty good weekend over the weekend. I can't tell you exactly. I know they had 53 and 53 games. And I think they went through the weekend uh, and only committed one error. They played some very, very good baseball against Colorado. They, they really did. Um, and, of course, they won Sunday on a walk-off homer by Michael Bourne. Colorado is a difficult team to play. I, I understand that they play in that bandbox which isn't really a bandbox, but because of the altitude it is out in Denver. And they're built for a home team. But I'll tell you what, that team can hit. And if they get a couple of halfway decent pitchers, Mark, I think they'd be a tough team to really beat in that Western division.
1: But they, they, they've got to contend with the fact that if they bring in a pitcher, they've got to go basic with a, with a pitcher who doesn't survive by the slider or the breaking ball. I've known so many guys to go out there and with great breaking balls, and the thin air doesn't allow the ball to break very much. So you've got to have a guy who's throwing the heat. Uh, you take a guy like Chapman out there. If he's throwing 103 in Cincinnati, he's throwing 106 out there. Uh, but that's you really have to be careful who you bring into that environment because not every pitcher is going to survive. Like I think Bronson Arroyo would get killed there. I mean, he, he, he wouldn't survive a season, I don't think, out there, because all he throws is breaking balls, and the balls don't break because of the thin air.
0: And, you know, people may think that that's just a fallacy. But I lived out in Wyoming for three years, Mark, and I, I know you've been out in that area before. That's not a fallacy. That air out there is thin. And if you try to run, let's say, two miles in Denver as opposed to running two miles in Ohio, There's a totally different end of your two-mile run (laughs) in Denver than there is is in Ohio.
1: Yeah, people forget that Ohio is barely above sea level. And uh, out there, you're a mile in the air. And trying to run on that stuff or play baseball on that stuff is is entirely different. (laughs) So it doesn't matter how they put the the humidor on out there and put the baseballs in there. It doesn't – the balls fly out of there like they're howitzers. It's a different world. but um, you know, the, the Reds, in terms of their going forward, it, it's, it's going to be a team that's going to live or die by what they do offensively because they've got defense and they've got pitching. Maybe not the best. I think they do have the best defensive team in baseball right now. And, and their bullpen is coming back. They have good starting pitching. And if this team loses this year, it's going to be because of offense. Simple.
0: At, that, that's absolutely true. Hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment. And don't forget, we've got a couple of anniversaries that we're going to bring up here also in a few minutes. But let's get to our Ask Us segment. And you can join us just by emailing us at us or dmitch at com. Mark, I think this is a very great question by Cincy Reds are Best, who asked this question. Brian Price has said that Ludwig Heisey and Shoemaker are going to split time in left field. So then why did the Reds bring up Donald Lutz? with Ludwig, Hamilton, Shoemaker, Bruce, and Heisey. Don't they have a glut of outfielders already?
1: Yes, but Lutz's primary position is not the outfield. It's first base. And they wanted to, to free somebody up to, to back up Joey Votto. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens now with, uh, with Votto coming back. It sounds to me that Lutz is going to be the odd man out and, and be sent back to AAA or A. AA. Actually, he came up from A. Uh but that guy I tell you, he he's got a powerful quick bat and I don't know who else they're gonna send down. I, I would have thought maybe Bernardina. uh but he's had a good couple a few weeks here and he's he's a good defensive player, so uh it'll probably be Lutz. But at any rate, um, that's why they brought up Lutz to play first base, not the outfield. Who are their backup infielders? Uh Santiago is uh Ramon Santiago is hitting two hundred, uh plays a good second, a good short, and a good third. Uh, outside of that, you got Shoemaker who can play second base and the outfield. But that's it. Uh, they really don't have anybody else uh, other than Soto when he was here, and he hit 107. And, and that's what's frightening about the Reds. There is nobody, nobody at AAA or AA that right now can help this team. And they, if they were to trade a Bailey or somebody, I mean, I, I hope they would stock up and get a bunch of young players to to stock up that, that minor league system because right now the, the, the cover is bare.
0: Well, let's go. Terrific Tammy asks us, and this is just kind of a continuation of what I was just talking about. Can you see the Indians making a trade at the deadline and getting a power hitter? To answer that question, no. I, I cannot see it happen. First of all, there are not many power hitters that are available out there. But then I look at Nelson Cruz, Mark, and I see 20 home runs, over 50 RBIs at $8 million a year, and I wonder who fell asleep at the switch.
1: That That is amazing to me that both the Reds and the Indians could have used him, and he never got a sniff, apparently, from, from either team. You know, both teams, the Reds would probably be, if not in first place, close to first place. And the Indians might even be in first place if they had him. It's amazing how he could be passed over that long. And uh, do you remember when they signed him? Because I, I think it was in April, was it not?
0: No, it wasn't. It was It was uh, right at the end of February, just okay. before spring training started.
1: Oh, I, th- I thought they waited until the season was underway. No, wait, no. Wait, it's just amazing that he was not pursued, and unless his agent was asking for a lot more money early on. That's the only thing I can think of.
0: Well, I think he was asking for a lot of money, but you know, when they saw that the market was drying up, you know, I want to ask your opinion of this, Mark. We're talking about Nelson Cruz and nobody signing him, other than for an eight million dollar one year deal in Baltimore. What about the fact that Ryan Braun is one of the top vote getters? for the National League All-Star team. Isn't there a little, I'm not going to say hypocrisy, but it appears that the fans have put this biogenesis thing behind them, but yet the front office personnel of Major League Baseball, and probably even as high as the commissioner's office, have not.
1: Well, you and I disagree on this. Um, I don't think the biogenesis thing uh, is, is a big enough deal to have the fans that upset about. I really don't. Uh, I know a lot of guys or a lot of people think that, you know, Barry Bonds as an example, uh, was aided or everybody else was aided. I, I don't buy into that. I, I have seen guys on steroids. I've played against guys on steroids. And number one, it wasn't illegal when they were doing it. It was not illegal. And once it became illegal, if you wanted to take a chance and do it, it was a 50-game suspension. But they've not been able to prosecute many people to do it. And I have seen guys on steroids hit 180. And we've had guys in our league, you could tell they were on the juice. I mean, just gigantic guys. And they couldn't hit a breaking ball. So it takes more than just being big to hit and to play. So, yeah, it was a dumb thing to do. Did they probably break some rules? Yeah, they they break any laws? No, they did not break any laws. And so I think fans can, can separate the, the importance of that vis-a-vis the impact it had on a player's performance on the field I'm glad they banned it now and I'm glad they, they're making it tough only, if nothing else to protect those players who don't want to use it, don't want to use the juice, because it can hurt them physically so I, I know you are a little more adamant about that, I think you would like to see these guys suspended, but I disagree with you on that one
0: No, I don't want to see them... As far as Ryan Braun, 18 of the 20 guys that were suspended, I had no problems with. Uh, But Ryan Braun lied to the world and caused a lowly FedEx guy to lose his job over his lies over a year about this situation. That's what upsets me about Ryan Braun and Alex Rodriguez was, to me, was a bigger liar than Ryan Braun. 18 of these guys, including Nelson Cruz and Johnny Peralta, took their punishment, walked away and said, you're right, we did it, boom, that's it. These two guys caused a credibility problem, not only with baseball, but as far as I'm concerned, with the average fan of the game, including that poor FedEx guy that got fired from his job just simply because Ryan Braun didn't have the gonads enough to stand up and say, Yeah, I did it.
1: Okay, three things. Number one, the FedEx guy, <laughs> I saw he got a $2 million settlement. Okay, now I've, I've never I've, seen
0: that. If, okay. if that's the case, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Ryan Braun ought to give him part of his salary for the rest of his life.
1: Well, if that's true, you can check it online. Uh, I, I it could have been a rumor. I don't know, but I, I, yeah, I know I he know. he got something. Whether it was twenty thousand or two million, I don't know what he got. Number two, yeah, Ryan Braun lied about what he did, but he didn't do it in a criminal setting, so it wasn't it wasn't against the law. He's made himself look like an ass by doing it. And number three, it appears that. The, the juice did not impact his his performance that much. He's having a pretty good year this year. And so, I, again, I think the fans, uh, with with Rodriguez, with A-Rod, people just didn't like A-Rod before this stuff. They thought he was a jerk, and he probably was. So I think a lot of it is the fact that A-Rod was, was not a well-liked guy in the clubhouse, in the rest of the league, by the front office, by fans, so when he did something like this, it was everybody's opportunity to jump on him. They, but here's the last point, Mike, or, uh, David. The What I think fans realize is those high-profile guys that baseball has caught does not cover all those people who were not caught. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of guys were on the juice that didn't get caught or got off of it in time where they did not get caught. And I think fans realize that, too. So I don't see the death penalty. I don't believe in that. If a guy, yeah, you ought to suspend him, you ought to fine him, uh, all those things. But I think the fans have put this in perspective more than the writers have, and the inconsistency of the writers, it's just it's obscene what they do with the Hall of Fame. You and I have talked about this ad nauseum, starting with Pete Rose and going from there. Enough said. Uh, so now it's a subjective uh, well, yeah, the guy may have had a lifetime batting average of 330 and had 3,000 hits, but I think he might have been on the juice, maybe. So I'm not going to vote for him. Right. That, that, that is, that's ridiculous. Unless well, let me ask proof. you this. I, I,
0: I, don't, I think the term performance-enhancing drugs is a very – I, I, I want to say it's a wrong term because I'm going to use this as as an example. Performance enhancing can be anything, including, and it dawned on me tonight, these ball players, as you mentioned in recent years, started wearing the batting helmets. But also in recent years, they've started wearing the shin guards when they go to the plate to keep the foul balls from hitting them in the ankles or the feet, the elbow guards to keep them from being hit in the elbow. Isn't that performance enhancing?
1: Of course it is. And, and y- yesterday, I saw a commercial, I forget who the ball player was, uh, advertising 5 hour energy. Well, it, that's mm-hmm. performance enhancing and he's on TV doing a commercial about it. How far Absolutely. is that? How far is that from a performance enhancing drug that gives you the same kind of energy in a different form? What's the difference? It, it was by the way, it was Carlos Beltran advertising that. So there, there's so many inconsistencies in and in, hyperbole about all this stuff, and, and the fact is, I don't care if who you are, to go in there and hit a 102-mile-an-hour fastball uh, takes more than steroids. <laughs> I don't care what you say. So, uh, But, Mark,
0: I'm going to tell you this, and Major League Baseball will tell you the same thing. I agree with you on the Carlos Beltran commercial, but here's what Major League Baseball will tell you. He wasn't in a Major League Baseball uniform when he did that commercial. Thus, we're not responsible for what he says.
1: Yes, but it, it ran yesterday. He's yep, a, major, he's a I, major League Baseball player saying, I take this stuff. He,
0: but he, he's not. But the Yankees logo is not on the uniform, if you, if you notice that. It's a generic uniform. There's no mention of Major League Baseball. That's what they'll tell you. I agree with what you're saying. But Major League Baseball will say that.
1: What's that got to do with the issue?
0: They want nothing to do with it.
1: Yes, but the fact that they had nothing to do with Balcor, the same thing. They had nothing to do with it, and yet they suspended these guys because they took stuff they shouldn't take. And my point is... Maybe
0: it's the fact that Balcor didn't buy commercial time, and five-hour energy does.
1: Well, you you may be right about that. I, I I hate to say it, but you may be right about it. Uh, the, the point is, there's so many inconsistencies, and the only thing I would say to these ballplayers is, guys, you're hurting yourself, and because we don't want other young players to come up and start using this stuff, we're going to suspend you if you continue to use it. Uh, and But I, I think the fans have come to grips with it, and uh, at the end of the day, if the fans buy into uh, a Ryan Braun, it's it's going to be the end of the story.
0: Okay, Mark. We've got one more question on our Ask Us segment. Big Dog Twenty Four asks: The enthusiasm for each club, Cleveland and Cincinnati, doesn't seem to be there this year. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, from the Reds' perspective, it's because it's June and the three games under 500, and the most they've won this year is three games in a row. They have no hitting, and they have no energy. The team—it's—it's it's one thing if a team is fighting their guts out, and you see it on the field. But I'm speaking now for the fans I know, the Reds fans. And Big Dog 24 I don't know how you, uh, how you fit into that category. But I like to see a team play hard. And I, I, I'll, the team is playing up to their abilities and they're playing hard. I'll live with it. But when I see Jay Bruce strike out 46 times and he goes back to the dugout like it's a day in the park and he doesn't seem to give a damn if he strikes out 46 times on pace to strike out 200 times, and there's a lot of guys like that. They just don't have the, the, the fire in the belly that is, that is visible to the fans. And even Todd Frazier, who I love Todd Frazier, you know, he, he, there's a lot of lackadaisical aspects about Todd I don't like, including the fact he's made nine errors at third base this year, leads the team by far, and that's concentration. So those kind Ryan Ludwig another guy drives me insane doesn't seem like he cares and I don't know how you make a player care but I think a fan knows it when isn't there
0: I agree with you and as far as I'm concerned the Indians just have not been a team that is easy to watch this year with the constant errors in the field the lack of hitting uh, tonight they did manage to beat uh, Boston, in the opening game of a three-game set, 3-2, three to two, but Masterson left with a 3 nothing lead mark. The bullpen came in and gave up a two-run homer and made it a close game, and that's where the problem is. Every game that the Indians play is a nail-biter, and it's not the type of baseball that you like to come out and watch, especially when the weather has not been as nice as it has been in the last week. Now the attendance is starting to pick up in Cleveland over the last few nights, but that's simply because of the fact that the weather is starting to get better and the the team is starting to play better. And school there's a couple of
1: Pardon me? And school is out. That's true. The kids are there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um okay. Two anniversaries are going on in Cleveland this week. Do you know what either one of them are, Mark?
1: Let me see. Anniversaries in Cleveland. Has anything exciting ever happened in Cleveland, baseball?
0: (laughs) Well, when I tell you these two, I think you will agree that it is worth listening to. Okay? First of all, anniversary number one. This happened in 2010 on June 2nd, today, four years ago. When I tell you this name, you're going to remember what it is. Armando Galarraga. Oh, yeah. He set, set down the first 27 Cleveland Indian hitters he faced before the controversial call on out number 27 ended his perfect game. Colorado, or Col- Galarraga, I'm sorry, faced shortstop Jason Donald, who grounded to first baseman Miguel Cabrera. Cabrera flipped the ball to Galarraga. It was an easy out, but Jim Joyce, for some reason, called him safe. The replay showed Joyce was wrong. Joyce apologized profusely over the next 24 hours, but Galarraga's perfect game and his spot in baseball immortality was gone.
1: Two things. Uh, I read that that call alone has prompted uh, a video replay in baseball more than any other call. And you know what Galarraga is doing now?
0: He's in the minor leagues somewhere.
1: Yeah, he's in the minor leagues. I mean, that was his, you said it, that was his chance at immortality, and now he's a name, people just, uh, oh, yeah, who was that guy? Right.
0: Okay, anniversary number two. This one happens on Wednesday night. This happened on June 4th, two, uh, 1974, 40 years ago. Any ideas?
1: Sandy Koufax perfect game? Ten-cent beer night. Oh, with the White Sox. In Cleveland. Oh, in Cleveland. Oh, I'm thinking of the uh, White Sox and their record night. That was
0: disco night.
1: Disco night, yeah. No,
0: this this is ten-cent beer night where you you could literally, I I wish you could hear the clips that I had, Mark, because I had Herb Score and Joe Tate doing the play-by-play of a riot going on in the ninth inning. (laughs) How Billy Martin was jumping past cherry bombs in the dugout. He saw Jeff Burrows get tackled by somebody in right field, grabbed a bat, turned to the team, the Texas Rangers, and said, let's go get them, boys. And they all came out of the dugouts with bats to fight the people crawling over the fences to get to the players in Old Municipal Stadium. Mark, do you realize back in 74... You could get into the bleachers in Municipal Stadium for 50 cents. That's how much it costs to get a bleacher seat. And you could get five beers for 50 cents. You could go to the ballgame for a buck and have five beers that night.
1: Yeah, but you had to fight off the rats.
0: (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know what else is crazy? I didn't realize this until I started looking this up today. The game was forfeited that night. One month later, they turned around and had another 10-set fair night in Cleveland.
1: <laughs> well,
0: it was one month later.
1: Okay, well, I think my, my response to that is, is something to, that is about Cleveland, but I won't say it.
0: <laughs> Mark, the state high school baseball tournament is going on this weekend. Now, all the games are going to be held at Huntington Park. They're Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, I want to go over the, the pairings here. Have you seen any of the high school baseball teams this year?
1: No, I have not.
0: Okay. Well, you're going to know some of these schools. Now, first of all, we've got Gahana Lincoln playing North Royalton in the Division I semifinal, and then Cincinnati Moeller playing Maslin Jackson in the other semifinal. In Division Two, Jonathan Alder is playing Notre Dame Catholic out of Chardon and Carol Bloom, uh John Carroll is playing Sandusky Perkins that's also in division two semifinal in Division three the semifinals are Orville are playing Cincinnati Christian Academy at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy and Coldwater is taking on Wheelersburg in the other semifinal. And then Defiance Tenora in Division 4 plays Convoy Crestview. Newark Catholic plays Berlin Center Western Reserve in the other semifinal. We'll let you know who won those games next Monday night on our show. But, you know, I've seen a couple of games this year, Mark. But, you know, the the sad thing is, and I did want to bring this up, I just want to look at, you know, tell you a couple of the records out here. Some of these teams have played 30 games, okay, There are other teams out there that have played 20, 22 games. Six or seven of them have been tournament games. I have advocated for a long time Ohio do the same thing that Iowa does in high school baseball, and that is play the season in the summer. The seniors that have graduated are gone. You go with incoming freshmen through the incoming senior class and play it in the summer. But the problem is is that The OHSAA says that interferes with the football programs that start up in the beginning of August. Hey, I I think you can schedule it in a couple of months, but the weather's better in the summer.
1: You know, I'll pick up on one other part part of this. Last week, if you recall, there was a a big uh, article in the papers about all the Tommy John surgeries that are taking place. And they had a doctor uh, who was performing these things. He worked with Dr. Job, actually. Who perfected uh, the Tommy John surgery and he said this week across the country is when more more baseball pitchers are injured than any other week and it's because their high schools this co- the coaches in high school the managers <coughs> they run these kids out here to pitch nine innings three times a week they're not ready for it and they really don't give a darn what happens to these kids they are trying to win a state championship and the kids They're they're going to give it their all. They're going to throw as hard as they can for as long as they can. But more kids get hurt this week, and their careers ended this week because of injuries sustained during high school championships where colleges, and the same thing with the College World Series, Uh, these kids are playing too much baseball, and at least the college kids are in their 20s. Some of these kids are 16, 17 years old. And they just don't have the muscle mass and, and the and the protection of their bodies will give them later when they're pitching that hard trying to throw, you know, ninety miles an hour when you're sixteen years old and hundred and forty pounds. So keep that in the back of your mind too. I I wish Ohio baseball would take that into consideration and protect these players more than they do.
0: I agree with you. I, I think there are so many things that could make Ohio high school baseball a lot better, including the field conditions. There are some fields out there that are, are just absolutely putrid. But we'll, we'll get into that some other week, Mark. We'll have the results of the championships coming up next Monday night. Mark, before we get into the final uh, goodbyes for tonight's show, did you know that yesterday the Diamondbacks set a record in their game against the Reds?
1: Yes, I think they had five Venezuelan players at one time. Or start the game? Is that is that correct?
0: And five Venezuelan players got a hit yeah. in the same
1: game. Well, before we go, yeah. uh, I've had some, uh, some of my, my wide fan base contact me, and I said I would recognize them tonight. Uh, Mike, <laughs> Mike from Chicago, Linda from Ohio, and then Tom, Jeff, Robert, and Bill, who are friends of Mike's in Chicago, are new listeners. And I, I told them I would... Say hello to them, and look forward to seeing them soon in Chicago.
0: Well, I'm sure that the uh, the same check that you'll be getting in the mail for doing this show will be on its way to them.
1: <laughs> you got it. That's right.
0: <laughs> Mark, what's going on with the Reds this week?
1: Well, they've got the Giants coming up for three games, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then next starting Friday the Phillies for three, and then four games against the Dodgers at home. So these are going to be crucial games for them over the next uh, couple weeks. So uh, keep your fingers crossed.
0: Well, the Indians already have started off the week pretty well. They've got a win over Boston tonight. They play them again on Tuesday and Wednesday. Then they go to Texas, Mark, for a wraparound series. It's a four-game set Friday, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and then Monday night. And then they're at Kansas City for a Tuesday night and a Wednesday encounter. And we'll be back to talk about it all next week. Mark? Thanks a lot. Have a good week.
1: Same to you, David.
0: That's going to do it for us. Don't forget our Ultimate Sports Talk show this Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Mark and I will be back next Next Monday night night at at 9 to talk about about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening tonight. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Until next week, have a good night, everybody.